Welcome to the Adult Child of Dysfunction podcast, where we untangle the past, rewrite the present, and reclaim our future. I am your host, Tammy Vincent, and together we will break free from old patterns, heal wounds, and create new narratives. Are you ready to transform the effects of your dysfunctional past into your superpowers? Are you excited to get back in touch with your true authentic self? If so, then hit subscribe and join me weekly on the Adult Child of Dysfunction podcast. Here we will learn from experts as well as experienced thrivers how to turn our trials into smiles while living our most authentic and joyful lives. Well, hello again, everybody. And today I have another special guest, Jennifer Henry. She is the best-selling author, award-winning speaker, and lifestyle recovery coach. She's on a mission to get people connected to and aligned with the life they were meant to be living. Her book is called Resilience, A Different Kind of Strong, which sums up probably her entire life. So, yep, there you go. So welcome, Jen. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me, Tammy. You are very welcome. So before we even get started, I mean, we know the podcast is called Adult Child of Dysfunction. So it's people that have gone from dysfunction of any sort to thriving. So tell us a little bit about your story. Yeah, absolutely. So I was born in Riverside, California, um, on a ranch with horses, uh, to, with both of my parents, I had both of my parents around my, they, they're still happily married 41 years. They just celebrated on the 8th of October. And Ideally from the out, like from the outside, we looked like a normal, healthy, young middle-class family, but on the inside, uh, it was a little different. I myself struggled with identity. I struggled with purpose. I struggled with knowing who I was, what I wanted, what I liked. And I was pretty much anything that anyone else wanted me to be just so that I would be accepted. And that I believe came as a result from, I had my dad who was this super hardcore alpha male, cowboy, used car salesman, you know, ran car dealerships and different things. And he was the kind of guy that, you know, you go out and you put your mind, you can do anything you put your mind to, and you can do, you know, whatever anyone else can do, but better. And, and you don't need a man, you know, and this and that. And, you know, if you want a man, that's great. But you, I, you know, he made sure I knew how to change my oil, change my tires, change my brakes, you know, do all the things. I had to work on my first car. I had responsibilities on the ranch, right? I had to get up and clean horse poop, right? Clean up the manure, muck the stalls before the sun came up. I had to feed the horses after school and make sure I weeded 15 minutes in the acre and a half property that we had to keep up on the weeds. I had responsibilities somewhat, right? And then there was my mom and she was very meek, mild to herself, people pleaser, was the child, was one of five girls born to my grandmother, who was the town clerk of a, of a small town called Durham, Connecticut for 40 years. And back in that day, in that town, in that, where she grew up, it was pretty much, you know, better to be seen than heard. And if you can help with being seen, if you can't, if you can avoid being seen, avoid it. And you were, and you just, you just followed the rules and you did what people told you and you were who people wanted you to be. And so I had these two completely extreme differences. And on top of all that, you know, my grandma was an alcoholic, functional, but she was an alcoholic. And so most of my childhood, my mom was what you would call a functional alcoholic. She went to work every day, came home, cooked dinner, but by seven o'clock she was toast and you never knew who you were going to get. And so I learned how to, uh, one walk on eggshells, but two, at the same time, I realized that there wasn't a lot of real respect in my household. And it was more 
uh, I, and, and so I learned that. So I didn't have very much respect for my parents and I was spoiled and I was ungrateful. And I don't really think that you can, that it's easy for a child to learn how to work for or want something when they've never known how to want, let alone need anything. And, and so I was just really lost. And again, I didn't appreciate anything there were, but there were no consequences. There were mm -hmm. no consequences. And I pretty much ran that house. And I see that a lot with kids today is the parents are like kids first, kids first. And the one thing I will say that I remember, I remember one time my mom and I had gotten into it. She had gotten, you know, drank a little too much and she was diagnosed bipolar after this, but we didn't know at the time and she wasn't getting any help or support around that. So she was a bipolar alcoholic. And so again, that me, that being said, either one of those makes it difficult to know who you're going to be dealing with. And she had gotten upset and threw a glass at me and it broke on the wall, right. As my dad was walking in from work. And so he and her, she, she, they had their argument and he told her to go to her sisters and, and then, you know, he was putting me to bed and I was crying saying, you know, why, why can't we leave? Why can't we go somewhere else? Why can't she stay at her, at my aunt's house? You know? And he said, you know what, Jen, he said, you're a product of our love for each other. And you're going to grow up one day and you're going to go get married and you're going to have your spouse and it's going to be you and your spouse against the world with your family. And just like, I'm going to be left here with your mom. And we need to make sure that we have, a, that it's us against the world. And, and so at the time I took it as I'm not a part of their world, that I'm a, I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not a part of them. I'm not a part of the family. I'm on my own. It's just me. And while there could have been a better delivery of what he was saying, because of course I was traumatized by it. I, to the, now as an adult, as, as I'm about to be 39 and I'm in a relationship with a man uh, that I've a healthy relationship with a man of 10 years now. And, and I see it a lot with my clients that a lot of my clients are, you know, coming up on being empty nesters, or they've spent all their, their, child's life being whatever their child needed them to be in a sense and focusing all their time and attention on their child. And then their child goes off, starts their own life and they're lost and they have no identity, have no clue who they are, no clue why they're like, what their purpose is in the world anymore. And, and that's a, that's an unfortunate thing for multiple reasons. One, your kid needed you to be an example of what it looks like to be in a healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. And your kid also needed you as an example for what it looks like to have healthy boundaries to take care of yourself, to put your health and wellness first so that you can then pour into them, right? We need to learn how to fill our own cup first. So whether it's your kids, your clients, your family, your siblings, your you know clients, whatever it is, whoever it is that you're serving, are you act, you're actually doing them a disservice if you're running on fumes, if you're showing up inauthentically, if you're not just making it clear what you need and want in your life to be whole so that you can show up fully for them right? We can't pour from an empty cup. And so, but that's what I was doing. I was everything to everybody. I had no boundaries. I was, as long as you, you know, as long as you liked me, as long as you accepted me, it was a yes for me, right? Any kind of music you liked, any, the way you dressed, um, you know, down to the drugs you did. And so, you know, I was also a like really highly intelligent kid. Okay. I was, in the top three, 2% of the top 3% in the nation during the John Hopkins test in fifth grade. And I ended up po testing post high school in fifth grade. And then seventh grade comes around and they put me in middle school in a public middle school. 
And I was bored out of my mind. Everything mm-hmm. was review. Um, the kids in class weren't paying attention. The teacher had to repeat herself a thousand times. And I have terrible ADHD, right? And so there was absolutely no way I was going to be able to focus or learn from these people. And I wasn't getting the attention that I needed in order to succeed. And so I go hang out in the bathroom. Well, of course, I wanted to be accepted and liked by the kids in the bathroom because that's where I was hanging out every day. And they were bored too, but for different reasons. Right. Right. And they had learned the art of the escape. And I'm not talking physical escape out of the school, even though I eventually, you know, started ditching and never graduated high school, all that stuff. But in middle school, the art of the, I learned the art of disconnection and the art of the escape. And I learned how to get out of my skin because I wasn't comfortable in my own skin. I didn't know how to be, I didn't know how to exist and be like, okay. And so I started smoking weed. And then very shortly after that, I started playing around with cocaine and ecstasy and acid. And by 10th grade, I was partying all the time. And by 11th grade at 16, I found speed. And by the end of my 16th year, 17th in the beginning of my 17th year, I found myself homeless because my parents all of a sudden learned how to set boundaries and I was killing them and I was killing their marriage and I was destroying their home and I was destroying their life just along right side, right alongside mine. And as someone who has ever experienced a loved one on methamphetamine, you can understand why it was actually a dangerous situation for my parents to allow me to stay in the home. Right. And so they were, you know, my mom would every once in a while pay for a hotel room for me because I was living in my car and then my car got stolen and all of these things started, these trauma things started happening to me because I was homeless on the streets with a needle in my arm by 17. Hmm. And not only that, but I was also diagnosed young with bipolar, just like my mom. And they hadn't diagnosed everything else yet, but the bipolar was the main uh, issue, bipolar one. And when I, they tried started, they started trying to medicate me and, and I didn't like it. And so I found ways to medicate myself. And, and so over the course of a few years, I started to get into psychosis because I didn't take care of myself because I never mattered to me. And I wasn't showering, wasn't eating, wasn't sleeping, wasn't drinking water. And so I was literally the crazy white girl that you see on too many drugs, walking down the street with her hair matted and oily, with peed on pants, with the dirty face, talking to herself, yelling at things that aren't there, walking in the middle of the freeway to pick up trash. You know what I mean? And then like acting like the cars weren't there. I mean, I was out of my mind. And so luckily I'd gotten picked up a couple times and taken to mental hospitals where they tried to help me, but eventually I'd be released back out to where I was and with no transition, no supportive, uh, no support following that. By 18, I was arrested and it saved my life. And so for four years, I was clean and sober in the pro in the anonymous programs. And I thought, okay, well, this is it. This is, I'm following all their directions. I'm doing everything they're telling me to do. I'm being of service. I'm, I have sponsors. I've had a spot, multiple different sponsors. I've worked the steps. I'm working with sponsees through the steps. Now I'm reading all the literature. I'm doing all the things, but yet I was still lost. I was st- still didn't know who I was. I was still disconnected, still being as codependent as ever, if not worse now, because they're telling me, if you don't do these things, you'll die. You have to do these things. And so there was no saying no, there was no setting boundaries. There was no figuring out if that was right for me or not, because I didn't have a choice because they told me I didn't. And four years in, I'd been with this guy for multiple years at this point, we were talking about marriage and he ended up relapsing. And so I kicked him out. He went to his mom's long story short. The mom called me like, please, all he's doing is drinking and crying about you. Please, please come get him. 
found him a detox, put him in detox. We got back together. And a few weeks later, I found out that he had been sleeping with someone while he was at his mom's house and he'd gotten someone else pregnant. And so while I told myself it didn't bother me because I'm the one who kicked him out, I still had no coping skills, right? I still didn't feel worthy of being fought for. I still, and he had proven again that I'm not worthy of being a partner, a mother, right? I wasn't worthy. And so I, as much as I wish I could have had the strength or the clarity to reach out to someone in the program, I needed myself at that point. And I needed the highest version of myself at that point, but I still had no relationship with her. Mm. Some people call it spirit. Some people call it the peace of God inside of us. Some people call it enlightenment, call it what you want to call it. Everybody knows it's there. We all just disagree on what it's called, but it, to me, it is my highest conscious, right? Conscious, right? It is the highest, most transcended enlightened part of myself. And I still was disconnected from her. So I went back out put a needle back in my arm, but this time I wasn't going to be a victim on the streets. This time I was going to play the game and I did, and I lost <laughs> and I ended up getting uh, arrested again, multiple times being bailed out multiple times. And eventually they kept me on a hold because I was bail on bail on bail, 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 on crime, bail, crime on bail. I don't know how you say it, but it was like, <laughs> okay, girl, we don't trust. And you're going to, you know, not keep committing crimes while you're out on bail. So you're not allowed to get out at all. And I ended up doing my first term in prison in Chowchilla up North in California. And then I was out a couple of months, a little over two months when I was arrested again and placed on a parole hold and sent back to prison for 17 and a half months. But the second time I went in, I knew that I was worse when I got out. Mm. I was worse when I got out. And I knew that that wasn't going to be the answer if I actually wanted to experience some experience a different life. If I didn't want to be on this carousel, that this turnstile going back in and out, like everybody I knew was, you were either dying or you're going to prison. And those were your two choices yeah. for that life. And, or you were at a mental hospital and completely lose your mind and don't get it back. And that's the same thing as prison, in my opinion, or death either way. Right. And And so that time I fought, I fought my case and I begged them. I said, you can put me in prison, but please, I need help. I need real help. I need to learn how to cope. I don't need to just be housed with murderers and thieves and criminals. I need real help. That'll help me transition into life. Help me cope, help me deal, help me be okay in my own skin. And so, you know, that was the beginning of what I consider my lifestyle transformation, what I consider lifestyle recovery, because for me, it wasn't ever about the drugs. It was never about the addiction. It was about my need to disconnect. It was about my inability to connect to who I was, who I was being, what I was experiencing, because it wasn't until I learned how to do that, that I was able to actually connect to my current experience so that I could decide if that's what I wanted to be experiencing. And then if not shift it. Right. But if I'm not in my body, if I'm not present, if I'm not conscious and I'm not paying attention to the way that I'm acting and who I'm being, whether it's to myself or someone else, there's no way I can shift that. Oh, absolutely. And so 10 years later, 12, 13 years later, October, I was released October 10th. So it's, we're coming up on 13 years. We just celebrated 13 years, I guess, of, uh, freedom, actual freedom for myself. And I have spent the last decade putting together different programs. And now my signature program that I actually wrote my book about, because I knew that there was something different that I was doing 
that other people weren't doing because they were dropping like flies, going back, catching new cases, dying from uh, overdoses, especially since now everything is cut with fentanyl. Oh, yeah. You can't trust. I mean, anything, even the cocaine now has fentanyl. in it, And so it really has been just an epic journey um, figuring out like, what are the missing pieces? Where's the gap? Where are the gaps? Because like, what is in place isn't working. Right. Well, it's funny you say that because you said it's not about the addiction. It hardly ever is. It's the addiction is just what you're doing to numb what you're feeling or not feeling. And until, you know, it's, we were just talking, I was talking to a lady before and it doesn't matter what your drug of choice is. You're going to go from one thing to another, whether it's food or gambling or booze or sex or drugs, whatever it is, because you're just trying to fix that emptiness, that lack of something, self or whatever it is. But it makes total sense. I love when when you wrote your bio, I'm just kind of laughing because it was like such a great like turn of like 20 years. And you're just like went from spoiled to no consequences, to no boundaries, to people pleaser, to jail, to prison, to the. And it was like so nonchalant. And I was kind of giggling because I'm like, we can like people that have been through it can so relate. Like those are the the natural steps, you know. So you kind of had it, even though some people look at it and you go, yeah, I had the what was seemingly a great life on the outside, they don't know what it's like on the inside. And those, whether your damage is being beaten and and raped as a child, or it's just simply that complete dysfunction and, and disconnect of your own family and your own people, it doesn't matter. It's all the same. It all comes down to the same. So tell us, I mean, that's like, that was a lot all right there. Um, you now have four businesses. You're helping people all over the place. Tell us about that. And but, but before we do that, what was your aha moment? I was trying to find your aha moment in there. Was it the second time you got out of prison? So it was actually, it's long, it's a long, it's, it's, it's in the book. It's, it's a pretty a couple pages long story, but the gist of it was that when I went into prison this time, I had my drugs on me. I hid them and I took them in with me. And so, because I was still playing the game and I knew how to play the game now. And so I got in there, I felt out my bunkie and she was cool and she knew people. She'd been there for months fighting her case. And so I let her know what I had and that I was trying to sell half of it and asked her if she partied and, you know, and we got to party together with some of it. So she became my bestie, right? Because that's what happens. You become bestie with the girl with the drugs or the product or whatever it is that you want. Like everyone, you know, givers find takers, man. It's just the law, law of the universe. And, but she was really cool. And, uh, I'm actually very lucky that she was my bunkie because, or cellmate or whatever you want to call it. Because when I did run out, I was a miserable, excuse my language, but I was a miserable bitch, right? Mm -hmm. No one wanted to be around me when I was coming down. No one wants to be around anybody when they're coming down. So, uh, she, uh, so I was, we were talking, she said something, I got upset. I spit on her. I called her a curse word and she pretty much just picked me up and threw me to the corner of the cell. And she picked up a Bible and she threw it at me and she said, you need God, bitch. <laughs> and then crawled up in her bunk and started reading or doing whatever she was doing. And I am after all the way to, you know, from here to Sun City and like, then, you know, grabbed the Bible, threw it up in my shelf and got in bed. I woke up a couple of days later, completely burnt out and she was at day room. And so I snuck into the little hiding space where I still had my needle because I'd brought it in with me and I started um, pushing and pulling blood out of my ankles underneath a blanket. 
and just seeing if I could get anything right. Just, and really it's when I realized it wasn't the drugs that I was addicted to. It was the escape I was addicted to because there was nothing left in that needle or the, or the, the cartridge, but I was just seeing if I could flush anything out of there with my blood. And all of a sudden, right. I see myself like it was the first time. And now I do this on purpose. Now I have, I'm skilled at doing this where I can sit and actually face myself and like, look at myself and have a conversation with myself and, and choose to dissociate in a healthy way so that I can talk to my future self, talk to my different parts of my past selves. Right. And, and actually have a conversation. But then I didn't know what was happening. I felt like I was officially losing my mind and I'm looking at myself and I can see myself sitting on that bunk, the blanket over my head, looking like death. And just like I was a girl that was barely existing. And I just felt this like overwhelming sense of grief and sadness. And like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Like, Jen, (laughs) come on, you know? And then I was back in my body, like it never, like right in that moment. And all of a sudden I could feel the pain and I could feel the despair and I could feel the, just the, the. The, the disconnection, like, wow, like I really haven't been paying attention at all, but like I, for that moment, I wasn't in pain and I wasn't sad and I wasn't scared and I wasn't angry and I wasn't afraid. And I looked up to where I was from the perspective that I had seen myself from. And this is all in the course of like seconds. Right. And I see that stupid Bible sitting up on the shelf and instinctively I got up and I opened up the Bible just out of nowhere. Right. I wasn't a Christian. I still don't consider myself a Christian. I was at one point in my life, but I do believe that God will speak to you any way that they, that it can. And, and so I open up the Bible and it says along the lines of gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and rest in the assurance that your faith in God will restore you to sanity. And I burst into tears, like hyperventilating, sobbing, just watch your dog got hit by a car. Like sobbing. Right. And I just knew I wasn't alone. I I knew I'm obviously still here for a reason. What are we going to do? Well, you're still here. What are you going to do about it? Because I didn't expect to live past 30 and be celebrating my 39th birthday in a couple of weeks is astounding to me because there's after everything I went through from 16 to 24 on the streets, there was no reason at all that I should be alive right now. I can't tell you how many times I overdosed. I can't tell you how many times I was raped. I can't tell you how many times I was jumped. I was been held hostage. I mean, I cannot tell you how Trump talk about from adult child of dysfunction. Like it was all dysfunction out there on the streets. And when I say homeless, I mean, literally like figured out how, why people use cardboard on the sidewalk on the concrete, because the concrete will kill you because it gets so cold at night. It'll drain the warmth from your body. And so I had an older black gentleman who was, supplying me with crack at one point, go and get me a piece of cardboard and make me lay on that instead, because he was worried for me. That's who was looking out for me when I was out there. Right. And so when I say that, like, I have experienced more, uh, I experienced more trauma in those few years than most people do in their entire lives. I'm not, I'm not over-exaggerating with that. And so I, and, and of course, as a young girl who grew up like pretty sheltered, right. And ignorant, I lost my mind because I didn't understand and couldn't process that this was real life, that people really did things spitefully and vengefully and like, and to hurt other people on purpose. Right. That wasn't just the movies that was real life. And it was really, I was really experiencing it. 
And so now to be on this other side, being able to realize like, and so what are you going to do about it? Are you going to be a victim for the rest of your life and blame everybody else for the fact that you're choosing to suck and to not show up for yourself and to stay disconnected? Just go ahead and kill yourself. And I I know that sounds rough. And please, if you're contemplating, please don't like get some, like reach out, get some help. But that's where I was at. Like, what are you going to do? Either do shit or get off the pot pretty much. Right. Right. And and so that's when I made a decision. And it, of course it wasn't hundred percent. I haven't been hundred percent cured ever since I'm not hundred percent healed. I still have moments where I'm a human, but today I'm connected to who I'm being on a regular basis. Today, I choose purposeful disconnection to relax and rejuvenate and re and re re up. Right. I am. I recognize where I am out of alignment and make adjustments. I recognize where out of, out of balance I am in my life. I recognize the boundaries that I need to set and what I'm saying yes and no to, right? And I show up authentically. I show up as myself, whether you like it or not, mm-hmm. honestly, because when we're authentic and we show up as our true selves, that's when we start to align with the people that are meant to be in our life. The experiences that we're meant to have in this life. And then I know how to hold myself accountable, not just to certain goals, but to the standards that I set for myself every day. Like my standard is I move my body for 15 minutes a day, no matter how I do it. Right. And I get a little tiny sweat going. My goal is to get to the gym five times a week. Right. My standard is three, no matter what I'm getting to the gym three times a week, but five times a week is the goal. Right. Just like the, so there's different things. Like my standard is I journal every day. My goal was to write a book. Right. And there's a difference, but I'm not just holding myself accountable to the things I'm doing. I'm holding myself accountable to who I'm being, mm-hmm. who I'm showing up as, what my intentions are. And that leads right back to, am I connecting to who I'm being? Am I aligning with who I'm meant to be and what I'm meant to do in this life? Am I finding the balance, the energetic balance? I'm not talking about everything has to get the equal amount of attention. I'm talking about energetic balance in my relationships, in my health, in my career, in my finances, in my spirituality. Am I balancing those things to where if I'm going to up-level at work, I better up-level my ass in these other areas to support that, Absolutely. not take away from them. Right. There's a big difference. Oh yeah. And then recognizing what I'm saying yes and no to, and, and, and am I being honest about what I'm saying yes and no to, is that really what I need and want or what, right. Or is it, am I just doing it to people please so that someone else will like me and accept me. Right. Right. And then it, the circle continues. And so that's what I wrote about. That's in the book because I was running the signature system program for years now, since 2018. And I'd had all these examples of these amazing women and men who've had these amazing results as a, or, uh, transformations as a result of their experience with me, but I'm, I'm not cheap, right? It's a, it's a, it's a significant investment to work with me. Right. I think right now my one-on-ones are at 20 grand a year to work with me and people pay it, but not everyone who's in the situation I was in is going to be able to afford that. Right. right. Even the 350 a month right now for my membership, like you meet with me twice a week and get a call with me, but, but that's still a significant investment. If you're just kind of getting your life together and it's difficult for my potential clients who don't have any personal value or see value in themselves or feel worthy of spending that kind of money on themselves or investing in themselves. And so the easiest way for me to make the biggest impact was for me to publish it. Yeah. Right. So that you can get it for as cheap as $2.99 on Kindle or 25 bucks if you wanted the, you know, hardcover and all that kind of stuff. But it was like I needed a way to to make sure that this was available to everybody because I know that I'm not the only one who needed this. 
And I heard multiple times throughout my journey, if there is a book out there that you want to read and you can't find it, it's your responsibility to write it. Yeah. Amen. You got that right. Absolutely. And it, and it makes so much sense because if you don't have worth, you're never going to be able to sit there and convince yourself you're worth a $20,000 program or a 20, you know, but just getting that book may, and, and you don't know how many thousands of lives you're going to touch. And whether they come to you or they come to that thousand dollar program or that 300, you know, whatever it is, they're going to at right. least get enough information and enough worth and enough like aha moments themselves that they're going to believe that there's hope. And, you know, it's just, it's amazing. I love what you're doing. And you've got four businesses. I'm looking now you've got author, speaker, entrepreneur, you have, four, it says I manage four businesses. So tell me about that real quick. I know we could talk all day and I'm, I know you have to be somewhere. So, oh, it's fine. So we're, we're good on time right now, but you know, um, so my, I've done hair for 20 years when I did get clean and sober, when I was 18, I got my cosmetology license and that has been my hustle and my heart, my love ever since there's, I, I taught for about eight years. I taught hair. I taught hair, different color theory and different things to hairstylists. But what I love is being behind the chair and being one-on-one -on -one with my client, them pouring their heart into me, me pouring my soul into them. And when they walk in, they feel like shit, right? They're tore up from the floor up in their, in their words, right? They always talk about, oh, I'm a mess, whatever. And by the time they leave, we've talked about their life. We've created some action steps for them. And very subtly, because it's not a coaching session, right? Where it's just conversation, but I've developed the art of asking the right questions to help my clients find their own right answers. And so I get to ask them the questions while they're in my chair and I get to wash their hair and blow dry it and cut it and sometimes and color it or add extensions or do whatever it is that we're doing and love on them. And when they leave, they feel like a million bucks, their whole, everything has shifted. And like, I will keep holding on to that as long as my hands will let me. I'm down to two days a week, which is why I started looking into. So for a while I was personal training for about seven years. I was personal training. And I was doing that only two days a week. And then I got away from that because I realized that I wanted to work with my clients on a more complete level than just physical. And as much as I would take, as much time as I would take to write out their nutrition plans and do all that, I realized that you guys are going to do it. If I just take all that, I don't care how much time I take. I don't care how smart I am when it comes to knowing exactly what you need to eat and what you need to do to get your body a certain way. If you guys aren't contributing all of this, these different pieces of your lifestyle to it, including your mindset, including connection and mindfulness. None of it matters. Yeah. You can show up for me and be a beast for the hour you're with me in the gym. What are you doing the other 23 hours of the day? Who are you showing up as then? That's what I want to know. And so that's when I went back to school and started getting certified as a coach, a health coach, and then a life coach, and then a mastery transformation coach, and then a functional nutrition coach. And I kept getting certified in more things because I kept realizing there's another gap. Okay. Here's another gap. Okay. Here's another gap. And by the time I got through that, I had developed my program that has continued to evolve over the, over the last uh, six years. But when I just knew I needed more. Yeah. I, and so as a result, I knew if I needed more, I needed more to be able to offer my clients more. And so that's when I got into coaching. So I'm don't, not doing personal training anymore, but I am doing hair. I am doing lifestyle recovery coaching. And for those of you that have never heard the term lifestyle recovery, it's because I'm coining it, right? It's something new. And it's because everybody thinks about alcohol recovery, drug recovery, physical recovery. They don't think about lifestyle recovery. And by that, I mean like the procrastination, 
the people pleasing, the codependency, the, you know, lack of self-worth, the right, like all of the lack of being able to set boundaries, all of those things, right. It's, those are the things that are contributing to the binge watching on Netflix or the box of cookies that I was just going to have a couple and it's empty now, or right. Like the doom scrolling for hours, you look up and it's been hours. You're doom scrolling on social media. That is disconnection at its finest. And so being able to recognize just, you know, being able to support my clients around that is everything to me. And then I also, my dad has his own, he's, my dad has been an entrepreneur my whole life and he uh, sells steel buildings and carports, garages, RV covers, things like that. And he custom makes them and orders them uh, for his, for his clients, his customers. And so they had no social media presence. And so I started playing around with that for them. And now I'm their social media uh, director. And so I do all of their social media, which doesn't consist of much, but it's enough to get them, you know, for them to be set and have plenty of clients rolling in. So that's a little side project I work on for my parents. And then the book, the book has taken on its own life. It is its own entity. I, you know, my publisher is like, we're booking a hundred podcasts by the end of the year for you. And I'm like, um, it's October. They're like, yeah, it'll book into next year. Don't worry. But by the end of the year, we're going to have a hundred podcasts for you. Like, you know, help us collaborate and help us get these booked. So that's how I ended up connecting with you, Tammy, because it's like, my goal isn't to make a bunch of money off this book. Yes. Okay. There's ways that you can work with me through the book and the book portal, which is a tool that I added because I was like, how can I give as much value as possible to the people that read this book? I don't want them to just read this book and go, Oh, that's a nice story. Like I wanted my, the people who my readers to be able to implement the things that were in the book. And so while a lot of people are like, God, I got through your book in like a day or two and a half hours or two days or whatever, I couldn't put it down. I think that's wonderful. But I also want you to go back through and actually apply the different areas where I have pause and reflex. And what I did was I added a QR code. And so you can scan the QR code, enter your information and get access to the free book portal, which is a course type membership. And it has all of the pause and reflect worksheets. It has videos that have finally started being uploaded around different techniques in the first part of the book is connection, right? So different techniques that you can use to connect and get grounded, get centered, like meditation, gardening, uh, tapping, mirror work, breathing, stretching. And there's videos of these things. And we're adding as I get different experts to come in and share their, their expertise with us. And so there's just, it's this huge toolbox that my readers can now go to for free. That's amazing. If they need more than that, and they need someone to hold their hand, there's options for that. But really, like, if you can take this book and run with it, and you don't need me to hold your hand, like, do it. Let's go. Let's go. Because everybody deserves to be experiencing the life that they actually want to be experiencing. But we are the only ones who can do that for ourselves. No one else can determine what we're meant to experience in this life. No. And you can lead a horse to water, but you cannot make them drink. They have to want to drink. They have, as I say, they got to want the Kool-Aid because it's good stuff out there. Wow. That's absolutely amazing. Amazing. So, and the name of the book again is just resilience, a different kind of strong, and we will put that in the notes and people can access that. Absolutely amazing. What is the best place if they want more of you to reach, to get you? I have 
a couple of websites. I do have the Unleashing Resilience website. That is the, new, the newest website. It has a little bit about me. It has uh, ways that you can connect with me. It has the book portal on there. So even if you don't have the book, you can access the book portal through the website. And that's unleashingresilience.com. So okay. all upcoming events will be either on that main page or on the book portal page right now, actually starting today, we're starting the very first uh, 28 day resilience book challenge. Oh, so nice. depending on how this goes, this is something that we'll be running about every other month uh, on the book portal. So that's, you know, part of our face. We have a Facebook group for that. We'll be, and we'll be making adjustments as we go, but that's probably going to be the thing that will go along with this book as far as the group that I run with it. Um, and so we're starting that today for the first time. So I'm super excited to see how that goes and uh, to get the feedback from that because we're going to be reading a chapter. There's 26 small, like two to four page chapters. I think the longest chapter might be five pages because I know that I need to be able to just bite-size stuff sometimes. And so since there's 26 chapters, we'll read a chapter a day and then we'll be sharing our takeaways from that chapter in the group. And so I'll have all of these takeaways from every chat, from every chapter in the book, once we're done with this, and we've got like 30 people, I think that ended up signing up. So oh, nice. I'm so excited just to see how this goes for it to be, start building its own community. So really looking forward to like, whatever happens as a result of that. And, you know, and so I'm not sure when this will actually air, but you know, uh, we will be running another one in January. So I'm looking forward to, well, it'll air way before that. Time. So Awesome. 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 Well, awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming. But before you come, I want one more question. Before you leave, I want one more question. You have said a whole lot. I mean, people have gotten little tits, little, little, uh, you know, tidbits and, and ahas and all kinds of stuff. I mean, you've literally been through some of the most horrific things and yet you're standing here a beacon of hope and smiling and laughing and just badass, really. Um, give them some words of wisdom or just some advice from you. I tend to end all my emails with this because I do feel it's the most important thing for us to acknowledge is that um, just remember to take care of yourself because you're worth it. I promise. I Abs promise. Absolutely. And I don't think I could say that any better because I, it's, it's, it's hard work. It's not easy. Healing is never an easy journey, but it is so, so worth it. And we can do hard things. Yes, we can. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me, Tammy. It's been a pleasure. You're just a doll. Oh, you're very welcome. And to everybody out there, my dog's about to bark, but for everybody out there, stay tuned and check back in with us. And that was Jennifer and she's amazing. So I can't wait for you to get her book. You guys take care. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me today on the Adult Child of Dysfunction podcast. If this episode resonated with you or you think someone else could benefit from what you heard, why not share it with someone you care about? Let's heal from our past and take back control of our lives together. If you're interested in learning more, head on over to www.tammyvincent.com for a free chapter of my book, Surviving Alcoholic Parents. While you're there, be sure to catch my invigorating seminar, Awakening Your Authentic Self. Together, we will rewrite our stories and turn trials into triumphant smiles. Until next time, keep embracing your strength, keep being you, and know that you are more than enough. You are way more than enough right here, right now.